Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 29. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then with the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adore you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. I fear, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know, from the, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see that you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is the danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, see whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, and they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with co the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. May God bless the reading of his word. And now I invite Minister Taylor to come up and speak. Good morning, Crossbridge. It's a joy to be with you this morning to worship as always, and it is a joy to be here to preach God's word this morning, even uh, a very interesting passage. Uh, I am the uh, guy's youth minister here at CBCGB, uh, and I would always like to introduce myself especially because I only get to speak uh, once a quarter. But I thank Pastor Jeff and Pastor Pat, uh, wherever he is, for uh, sharing the pulpit and giving me the, the privilege uh, to bring the word this morning. So in Acts chapter 19, as we continue our series to the ends of the earth, I have one big idea that I will try to communicate uh, throughout this sermon, and that is that the gospel will continue to go forth amidst various responses to the gospel. So the gospel will continue to go to the ends of the earth. But as we get started, let's uh, go before the Lord once again in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word that all of it is profitable for teaching and for training in righteousness, 
uh, that your people may be equipped for every good work. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and that your word would speak to us today as we reflect on Paul's missionary trip in Ephesus. Uh, We give you thanks for it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just last month, I had the privilege of going on a short-term mission to Kyrgyzstan. Uh, I thank you all for your support and for the broader support of CBCGB as a whole. Many people have welcomed me back, and I always get the question, how was it? And to which I tend to awkwardly reply, good. I feel like I'm maybe hanging out with youth a little too often. Uh, But anyway, the the short-term mission was genuinely good, but it is very difficult to summarize it up in one short sentence or even a few or even a couple highlights. Uh, I partnered with a a local organization called the Mercy Foundation. Uh, The Mercy Foundation is under a bigger missions organization known as GLEC, but Mercy Foundation is specifically in Kyrgyzstan. The foundation was started in the early 90s by a man named uh, James Young, or more commonly known as just Elder Young. Elder Young started the foundation um, on the principle of building schools in Kyrgyzstan that would be founded on Christian principles and teach Christian values. This original vision of the foundation was primarily humanitarian and educational, but clearly built upon Christian uh, principles. Over time, the foundation was able to partner with local churches, uh, Christians, and missionaries to outreach to uh, the community. So fast forward now, uh, about 30 years since its beginning, and many of the key workers serving and many of the branches of the Mercy Foundation are local Christians, including many of whom heard the gospel as a child or youth from one of the foundation's schools or outreach programs. Uh, So you can see some of the history there in the pictures and then uh, so forth. Um, From a missiological perspective, uh, it's very important that the locals are continuing on with the work that the missionaries start uh, because it is the locals who are going to be more effective and are going to continue moving on as the missionaries uh, move out. Mercy Foundation has five schools, one of which is a special needs boarding school, and another also has an orphanage attached to the school. So during my trip, I was able to visit all five of the schools, but I spent most of my time in the special needs school and the orphanage. Uh, In addition to these five schools, there is a web of ministries and uh, outreaches which are all affiliated with one another. Uh, And the relationship between all of these ministries is pretty confusing even to me after uh, going and visiting them. Uh, But it is good to reflect on them as a whole to see the bigger picture of God's work. I can't go into the details of all the ministries, uh, of course, but I'll mention some of them that I visited and helped with. Uh, Hope Clinic or Luke Services International that you can see the picture. I don't know if the laser pointer works. Hey, uh, over here. Um, yeah, they are a medical facility providing affordable health care and a much-needed place. Uh, they are the only place uh, in the, the only medical center in a town of 77,000, for example, that has uh, a cardiologist uh, or care to more specific needs. Uh, this was something that was started amongst some of the, the same brothers many years ago. Uh, the youth house, there in the middle, uh, is a 
English speaking and educational after school club, uh, mostly for youth. Uh, again, started um, just going and highlighting a few other things. The playground ministry uh, there on the left is uh, a after school program that does arts and crafts with kids. Uh, and then there is a farm ministry, or they call it just the farm, which I have the picture on the right side of one of the leaders uh, that works with orphans after they graduate from the orphanage. Um, their ministry is very important. In Kyrgyzstan, there is roughly a thousand orphans that graduate from the orphanage every year. Uh, and uh, this guy, the, the leader, I'll call him V, uh, he told me that um, out of the thousand orphans that, that graduate out of the orphanages each year, uh, roughly 70% of them don't make it past age 40 because they die from things like addiction or enter into careers like prostitution or other things that cause significant risk to their lives. So the farm ministry is built around teaching them practical skills, also helping them learn to do things with their hands for practical skills and employable skills. Uh, the gym ministry, uh, which I'll share about here in just a little bit, is an entire youth ministry, not too different from Alive here at CBCGB, but even bigger in its programming as they run after-school programs as well. Uh, in addition to that, there's many other uh, home groups and faithful Christians who witness to their neighbors and friends in a variety of ways through hospitality and through their daily lives. Uh, through all these, I was able to visit many of them and work with some of them, so Again, it's very hard to give a short answer other than good. Uh, many of these different ministries, uh, I was not able to do much work in other than to see and visit and pray and encourage the leaders, as it would be impossible to get involved in all of them in three short weeks. Uh, but I did spend quite a bit of time in the gym ministry and in uh, a couple of the schools that I'll share a little bit more about. Uh, the gym ministry uh, is largely led by many of youth and, well, youth in a more broad sense, younger people uh, who came to Christ uh, or who grew up in some of these different Christian um, ministries that, that they were witness to and that they came to Christ through them. Uh, the first week we did a training session. You can see the, the leaders uh, from that training session from the gym ministry and a few others. Um, they are in the process of rebuilding their gym floor now. Their, their ministry is called the gym ministry, uh, but they had termites in the gym floor, so we weren't able to actually uh, see the gym itself. Uh, this ministry is very important. Uh, you can't quite see it in the picture, but on the right side, uh, just further down, there's actually a, a very large mosque uh, in the area, and they've had some issues or some, some challenges from the, the locals uh, about that. But uh, on every week, they have like 30 to 45 kids that will come during their Sunday programs that they're able to uh, outreach to. And then, again, they have a lot of different after-school programs that they're able to outreach to throughout the week. Uh, so as we are in the process of building a gym, we actually have a lot that we can learn from them. Uh, th this is how some of their uh, classroom spaces or how some of their rooms are used. Uh, so in addition to the big gym, then they have the ping pong room, they have a chess club room, there's also another room for arts and crafts and for music making. And so it's a really good environment for the kids to, to come and kind of hang out together. Uh, during the, their Sunday programs, I was able to, uh, Pastor Sandy and I both were able to share with the youth. I shared my testimony with them and then some other teachings the next time, uh, and then we played a game with them. 
in order to kind of as a way to share the gospel, uh, as a way to share the gospel with them and to get them to thinking. Um, so yeah, in a lot of ways it was sharing, teaching a little bit, but in many other ways it was just getting to know the students, uh, hearing their stories, hearing about their families. Uh, almost all of the students who come uh, to the, the gym ministry are from Muslim backgrounds. Uh, most of them are not yet Christians, uh, but many of them are interested, uh, and you can see God's work. Uh, you can see God working on their hearts uh, throughout. Um, the Keeman School is the, the special needs school, and so I don't continue to share very, very uh, in detail. I'll, I'll speed up a little bit. Um, the Keeman School is Mercy Foundation Special Needs School, and so I spent a few days uh, here teaching in the classrooms, doing a few different activities, and again, in a lot of ways, just really getting to know the kids, hearing their stories, uh, talking through Google Translate. Um, you can see some of their uh, classrooms and then their living room space that they hang out at at night. Uh, in typical youth ministry fashion, I like to play around with, with filters. Uh, but the, the filters uh, from, from Snapchat actually play, uh, I was using that as a teaching illustration. We, earlier that day we were doing a craft where they would make self-portraits and we were talking about uh, how God views us versus how we may view ourselves or how the world may view us. Uh, and so I was using the Snapchat filters to say, hey, a lot of the things that you see online may not necessarily be real. Uh, and so as a way to encourage them to think through about what God thinks of them rather than the standards that they may see from things online. Uh, but again, a lot of it is just getting to know the students, hearing their stories, uh, hearing the things that they go through. Uh, Carabalta is many of the, the same things. Uh, so again, I was able to do some teachings through them, doing things not too much different uh, from winter retreat that we would do with our youth here, and then really getting to know them and hear their stories. Uh, this is the orphanage, so all these kids have been separated from their parents, um, for one reason or another, some of their parents have passed away. Uh, the young boy on the right side is the youngest orphan uh, in the uh, orphanage right now. He's 10, uh, and he's only been there for a few months, and his father murdered his mom. Um, and so he was going, uh, he ended up in the orphanage after that. And so a lot of it, again, is just sitting with them having conversations, playing games with them, uh, doing small things. You know, like, w what can you really do to talk to a 10-year-old boy who's in that situation? <laughs> uh, you know, the Lord can comfort, but what, what can we do? There's only so much that we can do, right? Um, in addition, we did some different crafts, and then as I was sharing, some activities like retreat, uh, on the left side, you can see them burning uh, different things. They uh, reflected on some of the sins that they were struggling with uh, throughout the week, and they, they wrote those down, and then they were burning the papers where they had written sins down. Again, not too much different than activity that we might do at winter retreat. Uh, they also wrote, and this was a pretty powerful thing um, for them, they, they wrote letters of forgiveness to people. Um, so those, we were reflecting on the, the station of how Jesus says, you know, as I have forgiven you, so you also must forgive others. And so they write down uh, letters of forgiveness. And, uh, you know, we had said, if the person has already passed away that you are writing the letter to, you can write the letter down and then we will burn it later on. And so you can see that's the activity there. So, 
There are many more things, of course, that I could share about. If you're interested in knowing more, come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, I can share some more pictures or vlogs. Uh, I tried to pick pictures that mostly didn't show the kids' faces just because uh, a lot of them are minors. I don't want to put the QR codes to all the other pictures up here for the same reason of circulating those. But if you want to uh, hear more, then come and talk to me. I'm happy to, uh, to talk and share more. So while my STM was good, uh, in many ways, it was also very ordinary. Uh, it's extraordinary to see the work of God in missions in a place like Kyrgyzstan that could be considered underreach, underreached, but is also very ordinary because gospel work on the missions field is much like gospel work here. I don't mean to say that God's work is not incredible because it is, but often that incredible work plays itself out in very ordinary ways playing games with orphans, <laughs> having conversations through Google Translate, uh, going and getting coffee with a friend and saying, how are you really doing? Small gospel witnesses as we are in our workplace uh, and maybe we're not permitted to overtly share the gospel or probably it's not a wise thing to be like, repent and believe in Jesus, but we do the smaller things as small seeds that build up. So in many ways, gospel work is extraordinarily ordinary. I visited schools, people's homes. I prayed for youth, listened to their stories, and showed them the love of Christ through simple ways like playing games with them. In our passage today, we see God working in extraordinarily ordinary ways in Paul's missionary work in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus for roughly three years, but Luke only chooses to highlight a few things from those three years. Surely a lot more things happen, but Luke had to choose what to pass on uh, because he couldn't share everything, of course. Uh, and so this is our passage today as we see some of the highlights of Paul's missionary trip uh, in Ephesus. So last week we, we learned about the, the first thing of where Paul encounters some disciples of John the Baptist and they, they hear about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so today we, we, we see three different responses to the gospel as Paul continues to go forward. Three uh, different responses in the, the three years that, that Paul was there. Not meaning that each was the three years, but uh, throughout some of the time that was there. So the first thing that we see uh, before uh, we, we get into um, the, the, the first response, but we see a couple interesting things. So, so let's look at verses, open up your Bibles to Acts 19, and let's look again at verses 11 and 12. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Of course, this is something maybe that we would expect to see uh, from a missionary letter or we would expect to see recorded for us in the book of Acts. Maybe more elaborations about people who were healed or people who had demons cast out of them. Uh, but we just have a, a few short passages, a few short words of God doing these extraordinary works. Sometimes we encounter these things of where we hear about uh, miraculous things happening in the book of Acts, and we may wonder, you know, why don't we see that in our experiences? Why don't we see that when we go on short-term mission trips? Maybe we do, but maybe we don't, and we might wonder, you know, why don't we see these extraordinary things happening more often, these healings uh, and these signs and so forth? 
Uh, I don't want to get too much into that question as uh, it's kind of a matter of secondary theological interpretation of how we would answer that. But one thing that we do see very clearly in the book of Acts is that God gives the disciples, Paul and the others, these miraculous sign gifts as a way to validate the gospel message as they go into a new place. As Paul was just going into Ephesus, as he was going as a missionary, these signs accompanied him as a way of God's stamp of approval, so to speak, that the message that they were proclaiming is true. We can kind of think about it if we were, we can kind of think about the sign gifts as if we were going on a road trip. You can think about, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that sign or recognizes the sign there on the left, uh, but down in Kenmore, there's a sign that says uh, Newberry, Oregon, you know, 3,000 and some miles. Uh, but we can think about a road trip, and a lot of times when we're on a road trip, we will see these signs that will pop up and say, your destination is going to be an X number of miles. In seminary, I drove back and forth uh, from Louisville, Kentucky to Columbus, Ohio, and I would always count down the miles as I was eagerly awaiting uh, finally getting off of the road. Um, so, you know, as you're going on your 60-hour road trip, by the way, on Route 20 from Boston to uh, Oregon, the longest roads in uh, the United States, you'll see these different signs that says your destination is in so many miles. But what happens after, on your 60-hour road trip, you finally pull into Kenmore? Well, you stop seeing the signs that say X number of miles away because you've finally arrived. In a similar way, the, the sign gifts are functioning uh, as a way to say what is coming, as a way to say this is what is coming, this is uh, a true message, uh, in a similar way that the sign is saying that this is what is coming. But as you arrive, uh, it would be reasonable to expect to see less signs. Now, again, the analogy is imperfect, and depending upon how far you take that uh, is a matter of some theological debate uh, in, in Christianity about that. But one of the things that we see very clearly in Acts is that Paul was given these gifts as a way to validate his message, as a way to, as God's stamp of approval on his message. And so as we go forward, uh, the, the first response that we see are from these Jewish exorcists. Uh, this might be a passage that the, the youth may memorize as something that is very funny that you see in the Bible. Uh, you, you have these exorcists who hear of Paul and they hear of Jesus. Luke makes it very clear for us that they are not believing in Jesus or following him in any real way. They're not responding to the gospel in a way of self-denial or in a way of following Jesus as he has commanded, but they are using the name of Jesus basically as a means to gain. Uh, somehow, in the ancient world, Luke clues us in that being a traveling exorcist was a reputable line of work. Uh, it was something that they were able to do in order to make a living. And so, uh, these exorcists would, would travel around and go to different villages, and they would charge a fee for their services. Uh, but, of course, as humorous as it is, and we see in the passage that they're unable to exercise this demon, that they are overcome by its power and then are driven out naked uh, as a way to, to highlight their shame. Uh, we, we may find that funny. Obviously, there's nothing funny about uh, demon possession, as this was a true story. Uh, but 
we, we see that they implore the name of Jesus, but not in a genuine way. And so that leads to their shame, because it is not truly in the name of Jesus that they were proclaiming. Uh, you can see in the latter part of verse 14, the demon responds to their attempts at the exorcism that Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Uh, and in light of that, then they are overcome. We see these exorcists heard about Paul and Jesus. They may have even heard the gospel, but clearly uh, we see that they did not respond to the gospel in faith and repentance, but rather responded to the gospel with fascination and exploitation to make some sort of physical gain for themselves. I can't help but to see uh, these Jewish exorcists and think about maybe the prosperity gospel in the United States. Uh, as maybe a, a traveling evangelist may go around from town to town and say, if you have faith, then you will give your money to this ministry, give your money to God, and I will give you healing. Uh, not as a way to truly preach Jesus, but as a way to use the name of Jesus for some sort of gain. And so we see response one to the gospel in Ephesus. We see fascination and exploitation with the Jewish exorcists. In the latter part of verse 17, and then and going on through 18 to 20, uh, we see the second response. Uh, it says, And fear f- fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, or glorified, uh, in light of what happened with the demon possession. Uh, but it goes forward to say, And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Again, we, we get small pictures of, we, we see how God is working in, in great ways. Uh, we see how he is working in Ephesus. The sons of Siva are drawn, these, these exorcists are drawn in sharp contrast to some believers who take a very different approach to the gospel message in these few short verses. Luke does not tell us for certain if these believers came to this response immediately after hearing the sons, the, the, these exorcists uh, and that event, but the grammar does draw a correlation between them. Regardless if this response was instant or took some time, we see the people in Ephesus who heard the gospel responded by faith, who are now believers, who are turning away from their own old pagan lifestyles in a costly way. Verse 19 tells us of believers who had formerly practiced these magic arts, uh, but had come together to burn their books. And as we're reading over it, it would be really easy to kind of pass over. The, the, Luke tells us that it was that they, they cost a sum total of 50,000 pieces of silver. Um, it's easy to read over that as I did, but as I was reading my commentary, and, and I found this to be very interesting, uh, that it was likely that the sum total of all these books together, if we convert it to... Um, today's currency, and we assume uh, a $15 minimum wage uh, or making $120 a day, that the sum totals of these 50,000 pieces of silver would approximately be worth $6 million in today's currency. Uh, $6 million. So this is not a small amount. It was a costly amount. When these believers heard Jesus' call to deny themselves and to follow him, 
uh, they took it to heart, even when it cost them greatly. Then, of course, we can go forward and we, we know what happens next. You can imagine in a small city that people would, at least a small city in today's standards, uh, that people would hear about the works of Paul. Luke tells us that the word of what happened with the exorcist spread throughout. We would also probably can infer that the people would hear about the people coming and burning their books, and they may find that to be crazy that they would be wasting all of that money. Um, and so what's going to happen we see some outrage. Uh, so let's read again in verse 23 through 26. It says, About that time there arose no little, little disturbance concerning the way, concerning the gospel, or the way that uh, you live in response to the gospel. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made by hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all, all Asia and the world worship. So, we see outrage. Why? Because the implications of the gospel and the implications of people believing the gospel affected the culture. Uh, it affected the culture, it affected their means of making an income, uh, and it disrupted things, right? Uh, we could maybe think about the same thing of where you see the gospel come into other places in the world, and things might happen. People may no longer uh, participate in different vices like gambling or prostitution uh, or other things that are against the way of the gospel, uh, and so here in Ephesus, we, we see that people respond, and there was this riot that kind of breaks out, and if you read on throughout the rest of Acts 19, it continues, Luke continues to, to tell us about this, this riot and the commotion and everything that happened. So we see in the responses, we, we, we see one of genuine faith, we see one of fascination but exploitation, and we see one of outre outrage and riot. This is the text, and once again, I'll return to the main point of it all, of trying to tie all these things together. We see that the gospel will continue to go forth despite all sorts of ways that people will respond to it. That is true in Acts 19, and as we read throughout the rest of Acts, throughout the sermon series, uh, and that is also true of us today. It is true throughout the rest of human history that God will continue to bring forth the gospel to the ends of the earth until every people group has heard the gospel. And as that happens, people re will respond in various different ways. There will be acceptance, there will be revival of sense, there will be opposition. And one thing that we see is that God is sovereign through it all. One thing that we see is that God will continue in his work. And so as we reflect on that, as we reflect on the passage, I just have uh, two short points of application. So first, be diligent 
in the ordinarily extraordinary work. Think about it for a minute. Paul was in Ephesus for three years. But out of those three years, we only hear these few short stories. Luke tells us that God was working in great ways, that, that people will come in, were coming to faith, that the gospel was going forth. But most of the words here in this text is actually about the opposition that happened. When we reflect on our lives, when we reflect on the gospel work that God has called us to, whether that is in a professional capacity as a pastor or as a missionary, or whether that is the gospel work of just making disciples as a software engineer or a doctor or as a plumber or or whatever it is that God has called us to do as we, we make him known in our daily lives, in a lot of ways, if we look at it from just small snippets of time, is very ordinary, right? Going and and sitting with orphans and having translated conversations through Google Text, Google Translate is, is very ordinary. But when we have the privilege to look back upon maybe three years or maybe 10 years or 35 years, we see what God is doing over the time. So be diligent in the ordinarily extraordinary work. We could take a footnote to that and say, never let the extraordinary become ordinary. Never let the extraordinary become ordinary as we reflect on the gospel and how great of a truth that it is. As maybe we become accustomed to sharing the gospel with our friends, as we become accustomed and familiar with the gospel as we preach it to ourselves. Never let that extraordinary truth become ordinary. Last thing that I'll say, so second response, uh, or second application is the question, how will you respond to the gospel? Do you view the gospel as merely something that is a ticket out of hell that doesn't actually change our lives in any real and substantial way? Do you view the gospel maybe as a means of personal gain that, you know, we can have eternal security, that we can have this blanket, this security blanket or or whatever, a gospel security blanket that we know that when we die, everything will be fine, but that we can continue to live our lives in the here and now however we want. Could you reflect on your life and your response to the gospel, and put yourselves in the shoes of these believers here in Acts 19 who were practicing these magic arts, who turned away from their old ways of life that were against the gospel, but not simply turning away and putting it back, but in a way that genuinely cost them something. You know, we may think, oh yeah, you know, maybe I'll sell the books, and then I'll be done with it. But, but here we see in this act of faith that they, they burned the books as a way to demonstrate their faith. Of course, there's many different things that we can reflect on that, but the, the question is, how will we respond to the gospel? Will we follow Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him? Or will we lessen the gospel to something that is less than extraordinary or something merely as a means for our own gain? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks 
and give you thanks for the beautiful truth that we can be forgiven, that we have life in you, not because of our own works, but Jesus, because of your works, uh, because of your works that we may become your righteousness. So I pray as we reflect on the gospel that that extraordinary truth would never become ordinary for us. I pray that as we look at our daily lives that we would find meaning in making you known in the ordinarily extraordinary ways throughout our daily lives. Help us to respond to the gospel in a way that truly changes us, in a way that changes maybe not the things that we do, but the why of what we do behind everything. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name.